Welcome to Marketing Meets Web3, a podcast that helps marketers navigate the news, trends, opportunities, and insights surrounding Web3. Today's conversation is for information purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Marketing Meets Web3. Today, we are spending time with Drew Beachler, the CEO and co-founder of Holder. Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to see you both. I'm excited for this. Likewise. Um, to kick us off a little bit, would you mind just telling us a bit about your background and your, your journey into Web3? Yeah, I would, I would love to. I like to call myself a lifelong marketer. I studied marketing in college and have spent most of the last decade of my career really in, in digital marketing. And, uh, but a lot of it even kind of stems back to, I shared this story because it's a good way into to Web3, but I don't always kind of share this part of it. But um, a lot of actually kind of my interest, both in entrepreneurship and startups and even into Web3, leads back to um, my early kind of interest in the music industry. So I'm a musician, I play bass guitar and a number of uh, like metal and uh, kind of hardcore bands, like even in high school and college. And Originally, I uh, wanted to go into the music industry, and this was in you know the two thousand and six to two thousand and kind of ten time frame. And um, during that time period, uh, Napster and just the music industry was being completely kind of disrupted. And so I ended up kind of deciding uh, that was not the route for me, and fell more in love with what I realized. What I loved about starting bands was more of kind of the entrepreneurial side of it and like the marketing side. I loved like marketing our band. I loved building a website. I loved you know back in that day was. Um, MySpace was king, and so learning how to HTML code or like MySpace pages and everything, which which was really great. The good and, old um, days. Oh yeah, and then that's what kind of got me interested. I think in just tech and entrepreneurship and kind of starting things in general. And um, I worked at an agency. I interned at an agency when I was in college, and all of our clients at that agency were these. Uh, Nick, actually, it's an agency you probably know well, Studio Science. Um, that worked with oh, Return yeah. Path in the day back in the yeah. day too. But all of our clients were people like Return Path and Exact Target and Angie's List and Stack Overflow and these like software companies. And that was kind of my first introduction into B two B software and kind of the idea of like recurring subscription revenue. And you know that that kind of blew my mind and I fell in love with that world. And so after I graduated, I um, started my career at a company. I'm based in Indianapolis, and this company is, was headquartered here called Exact Target, and we were kind of, uh, you know, email marketing 1.0 um, back in the day. And so, Exact Target was massive uh, ESP, a partner with Return Path, and um, we went public in 2012, and then sold to Salesforce in 2013. And I joined just a little bit before the acquisition to Salesforce, and so. Um, and I worked in the marketing department there at Exact Target and at Salesforce kind of early on in product marketing and content marketing roles. And so a lot of kind of digital marketing background by doing it, but also like we were selling digital marketing software. And so um, kind of we had to be you know experts on that front, especially in the content marketing team. I was kind of you know writing a lot and kind of helping you know marketers understand digital marketing and social media and you know mobile marketing was very new back in that day too. And so um it was an amazing place to kind of cut my teeth in marketing and absolutely loved it. And then in 2015, the CEO and founder of Exact Target, a guy named Scott Dorsey, as he was leaving Salesforce, he and three other partners um, started this venture studio called High Alpha. And kind of the whole idea with High Alpha was um, how do we take venture investing and combine it with the actual 
formation and kind of founding of companies and create this kind of studio kind of incubator like uh, environment where we just create companies for a living. And so I joined that team early in uh, early in their kind of first couple of months in 2015 um, and built out the marketing organization there over a seven year period. And we started companies for a living. So um, got to start 35 or so different companies. Wow. A lot of them in kind of marketing tech and sales tech, but all in B2B software. And um, it was an amazing journey and got to work with so many different uh, CEO, so many different founders. Um, and it was just, it got to learn so, so much. And so that was an incredible experience that, you know, that was my kind of dream job, but always loved still marketing tech and getting to work on marketing tech companies. And I think kind of personally, I, um, oh, this is probably 2017. So like early Ethereum days, like, you know, I had, um, the idea around kind of crypto and kind of digital payments and currencies is is interesting to me, but kind of Bitcoin, um, other than like, I wish I would have invested and in, in made a ton of money on it. You know, Bitcoin was never like super, super like interesting to me, but like seeing Ethereum and the idea around smart contracts, like that kind of, that really like blew my mind in kind of 2017 when I first started kind of really, it's probably a Fred Wilson blog or something like that, where I feel like I first started to really understand smart contracts right. and Ethereum. But um, but that was kind of the unlock for me was like, and it kind of went back to the music business side of things. So when I was in in college and like, you know, we went deep, deep down and a lot around kind of royalty rights. And, you know, back then, like streaming was very, very new. And so streaming rights and, um, you know, all of these kind of performance uh, royalty organizations and everything and kind of thinking about literally we would get mailed a check, you know, for 50 cents or something from some of these PROs. And like this whole idea of like, a smart contract could and should manage the entire royalty experience for for music. You know, that was kind of the unlock for me was like, hey, hey, we could like digitally prove the ownership of one of these files. And if that happens, like Napster never exists. You know what I mean? And like you can right. prove that like I can't just copy and paste this file. Um, you know, the whole like right click save thing is kind of funny like now. But that was like, you know, and that was five, six years ago. And um, we still haven't seen that kind of happen. But I think that was when I first started thinking about like what's what's interesting around smart contracts and kind of Web3 in general as like that industry started to get created was um, just how it changes the relationship between a customer, the good that they're buying, especially if that good like lives on chain and then the brand that's selling that good. And that was kind of what um, sucked me in in kind of 2021 and 2022 where I was just kind of um, fell in love with this world and kind of that idea. And, you know, there was lots of hype around it as well at that time, which made it more, more fun, you know, and uh, sure. dove into kind of the NFT world. And um, over time, though, really kind of started to see this challenge, which, you know, I know you all have seen as well. And kind of what you do with step three is, um, you know, there is no marketing and kind of sales and kind of just, you know, no software tool set really for any of these businesses that are operating in this space. And it's so, so incredibly hard to understand, you know, who your customer is when they're anonymous wallet addresses and even harder to communicate to those people. And so that's kind of the big idea with Holder where it started was, you know, these businesses can't use a Salesforce or a HubSpot for their business because their wallet addresses, not email addresses. And so what does kind of a system around marketing and, you know, this idea has evolved a lot since 
um, a little over a year ago when we started. But what does a system around kind of marketing and CRM look like when I'm managing wallet addresses? And so that was kind of the the original idea for for Holder. What kind of sucked me in, like professional day job wise, of doing it full time. I started working on, came up with, and started working on that idea in kind of late 2021 while I was still at that high alpha. Um, fell in love with it enough that I was went to the four partners there and said, "Hey, I want to." I want to jump out and go start this thing um, on my own and ended up partnering with them. And so they're kind of a co-founder with me in the business, which has been awesome and an early investor. And um, and it's been it's been a wild ride ever since. But anyway, that's kind of my a little of my a little bit of my kind of background from from music business to marketing and startup uh, startup creation to to web three marketing tech now. It's a great, great story, a great background too. Yeah, it's interesting that you you introduced uh, Napster and then uh, you talked about um, Web3 and marketing because Napster, I mean, Napster wasn't the um, what brought the change to the to the music industry, but it was, let's say, the catalyst, right? After that, all the changes happened. And um, well, we all think also that Web3 changes the way marketing is done. And you've already introduced the idea of Holder, the problematic with um aiming uh, or targeting to clients in um, in web3 so so in your opinion how does web3 change um, marketing and uh, do you require a new skill set to uh, attack this opportunity yeah i think that's a really good question i think the um i think it does require some new skill sets but i also think it requires a lot of the same skill sets that i think sometimes we overlook at the end of the day like i think you know, at the end of the day, I think marketing, um, you know, we really think about it like it's all still just a funnel. You know, it's about like, how do I get um, awareness of what I'm doing up at the top so people know about us? How do we get, you know, engagement with our brand in some way? And whether that's like an activation through signing up for, you know, an email newsletter or whatever, and then kind of down at the bottom, the conversion to becoming a customer or, you know, whatever that conversion event is at B2B, it's like, you know, uh, becoming a marketing qualified lead by requesting a demo or you know whatever that is, and I think sometimes we in Web three kind of forget about that, but I think we still need to kind of think about like the fundamentals of like it's still a funnel and it's still going from kind of awareness to engagement to kind of activation and conversion. Um, what you do in that funnel, you know, varies very differently. I think in Web three, but I think kind of we still need to think about that it is still just a funnel, and how do we move people through? an increasing level of engagement with my brand. Um, the the kind of couple points that I think are like dramatically different and interested to kind of hear um, you know, your all's thoughts as well. But I think with Web3, um, you know, what makes it different is this idea, what makes it kind of fundamentally different from Web2 is this idea around kind of transparency. Um, it's immutable and it's permissionless. Um, and even kind of this idea around uh, co-creation and co-ownership, um, in particular, around how you can align incentives. Like I think at the end of the day, a lot around Web three is just like a different way to leverage and align incentives. And and so I think that that's when I think about kind of you know we've seen the explosion around community management in Web three, um, and like you know how do we engage our community and um, and a lot of that is just around how do we co-create. Uh, and find co-ownership kind of with our customers and building this. And I think um, there's a lot of different skill sets that when you start kind of moving down that route, that it's still like, how do I, you know, gain awareness, engagement, activation, kind of conversion in that funnel. But um, there's a lot of different ways to do that. And there's a lot of other challenges, I think, there too. You know, like one is just, um, 
it becomes a 24-7 job, uh, especially like around the community management side of things. Like when you're trying to... Um, it's just such a different beast when you're trying to truly be kind of uh, co-creative and, and kind of drive this co-ownership type of mentality with your audiences and customers. And um, you see that a lot in, you know, in the discords and things like that. And so I think that that's just kind of one like highlight. I think that's very, very different. And so because of that, it leads to a lot of different um, channels and campaigns and activities. But at the end of the day, we really should all still kind of be trying that like their purpose should be how do we drive people down kind of this, this awareness to conversion funnel. Yeah. There, I mean, there's, there's a ton to dig into there. Um, and, and maybe I'll start with, you know, the idea that marketing and web three, I think a lot of people up to this point, and maybe this is changing, but kind of come to the space and think like, well, this technology is so different. This community narrative is so different. Marketing must be completely different. And I completely agree with you that, it, that it's really not right at the end of the day, like humans are, are, pretty repetitive creatures and we tend to do the same things and we respond to the same things and so just because we're using a new technology doesn't mean that you don't have to capture our attention it doesn't mean that you don't have to give us a reason to want to engage you know the second thing that you touched on around aligning incentives i think is so huge in web3 and i think it's again it's not so much that it's this brand new way to do things it's about doing things differently so if you think about the structures and the systems today in marketing tech and advertising and the way that as a marketer, if you want to reach an audience, you go through this broker, through this ad platform, and that's collected data in unknown ways, right? They just have a lot of data on a lot of people that gives you pretty fine-tuned controls for targeting people. But at the same time, at what cost? Probably at the cost of consumers who are up to their eyeballs and being targeted, who are sick of ads, who kind of reached their saturation point and don't feel like there is uh, a fair trade-off between the data that they're exchanging uh, for whatever value you're providing. And so I think Web3 is actually, to your point about transparency, it's a much better opportunity for marketers to just be much more open and forward with their customers and their prospective customers and say, you know what, we have value, we have benefit that we want to offer you. And be very clear that we may ask for something in exchange, right? Maybe I want your email and I want to know about you because I want to be able to give you better offers. But here's the clear relationship. Here's the clear trade-off. And I think that as this space matures, that's going to be a real opportunity for marketers to kind of rethink the narrative around just open and transparent communication with customer bases. Um, something that you mentioned around the funnel kind of brought to, to Alberto's question about, you know, tooling. In Web 2, we've got plenty of ways to measure the funnel, right? We've got, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of systems that we can use to uh, you know, capture analytics and use those analytics to tell us things about where people are dropping off and where they're engaging. And I think that's a little bit different in Web3. Um, number one, it's just not, you know, the tool set isn't as broad. But number two, we also have this challenge of how do we start thinking about Web3 activity in a way that can be framed as a kind of a, a funnel narrative. What are your thoughts on the tooling and kind of how it needs to evolve to support mature marketing practices? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I think we're still in the early, early days, you know, and so a little bit of it is I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. And I kind of go back and forth a lot, you know, spending, um, you know, the first 10 years of my career in traditional marketing tech, seeing, um, I'm, I'm sure you both have seen the kind of uh, 
you know, marketing tech landscape that uh, Scott Brinker has done for, oh, yeah. for years. You know what I mean? That has 10,000 plus, you know, vendors on this graphic. It's probably like 20,000 now or something. But I remember like the early days, the first few versions of, of that graphic, but just kind of even seeing, you know, the proliferation of marketing tools and kind of Web2, the consolidation around, you know, the Adobe's and Salesforce's and Oracle's kind of marketing clouds. And um, it's going to be interesting to watch that and then kind of think about, how will how will Web three kind of tooling evolve, and will it go a very similar way? Will it just kind of will it have its own landscape, and it'll be kind of very siloed, or will it become a different category of marketing tech tooling, or or will it become you know th- then eventually kind of the the bigger Web two marketing clouds kind of gobble up, or will it kind of be um, enough of a paradigm shift that it kind of starts to eat the lunch of like the traditional marketing clouds. And I um, I don't really know. I don't know like where that's going to kind of evolve. But I think it's one of those kind of three paths. And and so that's what I think about a lot too is more around like what are the kind of the, the symbiotic relationships both among like the, the Web3 kind of tooling that exists today and kind of how they are working together and kind of um, and building each other up. I think very big proponent of, you know, rising tides kind of lifts all ships. But then also like, um, what is the symbiotic relationship between like the Web three tooling and the Web two tooling? And so, I think I think it's all really really interesting. I, I look a lot at the um, spaces that are completely novel to to Web three, you know, and so specifically around some of the some of the attribution, you know, related kind of kind of technology is really interesting because attribution is going to be so wildly different, but arguably. Um, much easier to track in Web3, which I find kind of interesting because it's going to be, I can track the attribution publicly down to, you know, a specific transaction on a ledger, um, which is kind of cool. Um, You know, track the conversion point of like the dollars, you know, flowing or whatever. And anyone of your competitors can also go and see that same exact kind of conversion path, which is is kind of interesting. So I think there's going to be lots of different tooling around this is all public data, you know, so it's as if like all of our Google Analytics traffic is all kind of public to everyone. Um, and along with our, you know, purchase data in our Shopify ecosystem, you know, for like Web2 analogy. And so I think a lot of the interesting things are around what does that enable for the future is completely novel. And I think kind of the 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 tooling around how do I better understand and leverage blockchain data kind of in mass is really interesting. Um, how do I use that data for new ways of um, engaging and rewarding uh, loyalty, you know, among like some of the, some of the things like you all are doing too, like the, how, how do I find novel ways to use the technology to engage with the customer? Like those are the things I think that kind of really excite me um, and kind of the areas around technology wise that I think like, where does it make sense for like a new platform to exist or like a new set of technology versus uh, kind of the traditional kind of platforms? Um, that's kind of what I what I think a lot about. And I think too, back to like the funnel, technology vendors, oftentimes in early stages of like market maturity, like they focus on different areas of, of that funnel, you know? And, um, and so I think too, kind of thinking about like where it is, as, as you know, if, you, if you're a, a marketer kind of thinking about like, your your tooling and your tech stack, you know, where does this tool that you're looking at kind of fit in that kind of marketing funnel journey? And is it more on kind of the 
the conversion side of things or on the engagement or on the kind of awareness side. Um, and so that's kind of also just like what, you know, or on the loyalty side and kind of the other end of the funnel, really like it's kind of where you're in that realm. Um, so, so that's where kind of, I think too, just like having that awareness. And I think, um, I don't know, you know, where it's all going to evolve, but I think we should take some cues with what would happen in web two kind of marketing tech and what made those companies successful and kind of how that industry, um, evolved and kind of netted out because it just followed the same pattern that many other industries also followed, right. you know? So I think, yeah. um, I think that's always like really valuable to kind of take, take in and kind of think about and, and, and what made those kind of companies successful and kind of how can we do that hopefully better, um, this time around as well. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by step three, an engagement marketing platform that helps brands build deeper customer relationships. Step3 makes it easy to design custom-branded membership programs that include rewards like exclusive content, VIP event passes, merchandise, discounts, and more. Unlock new revenue streams and enhance customer lifetime value with Step3's easy-to-use no-code tools. Go to step3.io to learn more. I, I have to confess that I struggle a bit with uh, CRMs. To me, it feels that um, they haven't been around for so long. It doesn't come so naturally, but uh, they do exist and they they do provide value, right, to companies because uh, they've they've uh, imploded, right, over the past few years. But now, in the very few past years, uh, Web three came along, right, and with it more opportunities. So, for a person like me <laughs> that is that understands the value of Web three, understands barely the value of uh, CRMs. So what, what does a marketer that is in this situation, you know, uh, what does she need to know, you know about um, CRMs and Web3? How, how can one improve the other? What do they need to, you know, to, to understand both and fit them together? Yeah, and I think, you know, when you think about um, <clears throat> a CRM is really, like traditional CRMs are really uh, tools for managers to understand what's happening within their sales team. Like that's who, you know I mean? Like sales reps and like end users, like they're not the, they're not the target for like the CRM. It's like the sales manager to kind of like manage the process. You know, that is the biggest value they get out of the, like the CRM and manage and store the customer data and the customer data kind of an aggregate. And I think the most unique thing about web three and blockchain is that your customer data all lives on the blockchain. Like it's just, it is blockchain data. And so I think that's where kind of like the biggest thing around what makes something different or, or unique or novel in Web3 is that data um, structured in a ledger. You know, it is meant to kind of help um, be able to tell, you know, this wallet is sending this amount of money to this wallet and is this wallet good for it? And so how do we make that kind of open and transparent to, to make sure that in a trustless manner, I can transact with that wallet and and know that you know um, I'm not being scammed or that they're good for that money basically, and that's kind of the core tenet of like what makes you know a transaction a block work, and um, because of that, the data is not structured in like an easy way like we're used to with with marketing data and kind of CRM data, and so that's what that's what I just kind of find is the most the most interesting and kind of valuable part around like how do we think around customer data with with Web three is just how do we retransform all of this data that already exists into a way that I can use it in a more kind of easier way. And so um, a lot of like how I talk about even just what we do at Holder is like taking this data that is very accessible to data engineers and developers, but not accessible to marketers. And so how do we give them 
kind of that like power and usage to use that data to drive, you know, more meaningful, personalized and kind of automated um, customer journeys and, and kind of communications. And so um, that that's kind of like where I think about it. And it's, it's a lot more too of like, a, you know, the customer that most of the companies now that are interacting in web three and building big audiences are more consumer companies too. And so like, when you think about a CRM, like it's less of like your Salesforce kind of CRM and it's more like a, bigger customer data repository. Um, it's more like your POS system. You know, it's more like your Shopify of like who's buying what and what product line and and when did they buy it and how much did they spend on it. Um, and aggregating kind of that in like a in a in a really kind of easy to use ways. But anyway, those are those are some of the things that I when it, it excited me at least most when I think of um, you know customer data in web three and kind of what does that look like. Um, and and it's really really exciting, kind of interesting when you think about kind of all of the all of the possibilities there too, with it being kind of open and transparent. I want to dig into the specific specifics of Holder in just a minute, um, but I want to dive into a quick uh, just observation on something that you said. So, um, this idea that you know all of your customer data is on chain, it's all public. I think at least my observation is that there's going to be sort of an allergic reaction from marketers in the beginning of, of adoption of this technology, because that, that feels sort of counter to what companies want to do, which is defend their customer base and create moats. And, you know, there is some proprietary advantage in having access to customer data that nobody else has. But it also reminds me of the early days of the internet when people were hesitant to put information online like companies didn't want to publish things online. They didn't want to share too much because they felt the same way, like our information, our, it, it's, our, it's our competitive advantage. And I think that it took a while, but it's definitely evolved. And now I think that the companies that are most progressive and win most often, they're pretty open with their information. You know, I mean, you look at like the Teslas of the world who publish their master plans and that's sort of become a theme of company strategy is like make this known to the public so that the public understands where you're going with the company. They can get on board with the vision. And I wonder if we'll see the same thing with with customer data, you know, just marketers rethinking the way that we structure it, the way that we publish it, what it means to share customer data and how that can actually be net benefit to a business. I think there's a lot of opportunity and evolution to be had there I, t- I totally agree and i think it's also shifting the um like the ownership and control of that data too, like back into the hands of the end consumer which i think inevitably will will ultimately just end up with better customer experiences you know it will drive the brands to um improve their customer experiences it will drive the brands to um you know care more about that customer experience and so i think all of that kind of net net is 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 also good for the end consumer and kind of the consumer experience too, which excites me. So going back to Holder, um, you gave us kind of the the conceptual intro at the beginning and started to talk a little bit about how you empower things like journey building for marketers. But let's get into some more specifics. What is Holder doing specifically with blockchain data? How do you help marketers today turn that into actionable information? Yeah, so today, a lot of what we've built is a... Um, it starts with just understanding, you know, who are my customers? And so if you have a contract on Ethereum or Polygon or the two that we work with today, we ingest that contract, create a CRM database out of those wallets that have ever interacted with that contract. And then we enrich those wallets with 
other on-chain data we can find and know about those wallets based on you know what they're interacting with. And we have kind of a lot of marketing tools, whether it's a uh, form builder or uh, messaging tools that help you then kind of craft these campaigns in order to connect and engage with those folks. So I can segment down my list to see you know who are my top 100 holders, who are my VIP members, and how do I drive them into you know a personalized automated journey? And so our most recent um, launch actually a couple of weeks ago was our our kind of automation suite, our automation builder. So now you know anytime someone buys or sells an NFT or transacts um, on a specific event on the blockchain, you can use that as an, a trigger in a workflow campaign that then would send off you know an email message or a text message or a wallet message directly to that customer or sent yourself an alert based on a really you know refined set of of filters and criteria for what you're looking to be kind of notified around, and so. That's where you know we're trying to bring this idea of of marketing automation and and really like a lot of kind of Clavio is a great kind of analogy of like what they did for um, you know e-commerce marketing automation is kind of a lot of what we're trying to help empower for kind of decentralized commerce and you know purchase activities that are happening on the blockchain. How do I drive you know email, SMS, and kind of messaging customer engagement campaigns based on those activities? No, that's great. That's great. Since um, since you are looking into this and uh, you have a vantage point, I guess from from the from the position that you are in, uh, what what excites you the most? Uh, what, what are you looking at these days that uh, really is capturing your attention? Yeah, I think um, I guess there's two things. You know, we talked this, about this a little bit before the show. One thing, um, and, and I only had one thing, but I have, to, I have two things. One thing is uh, just I would say the resurgence among. Um, NFT artwork and kind of on-chain art. I've been really excited about uh, VCon was hosted here uh, in Indianapolis uh, two weeks ago. And um, I had the opportunity to sit in a ton of, they had a ton of like just amazing artists that were speakers from Vinny Hager and Thank UX to Snowfro and uh, Fuocious and and, and Andre O'Shea. And I don't know, it was was incredible to get to see a lot of them um, that I've like admired their artwork for a long time speak. And anyway, that just kind of like, Re- all of that week like re-energized my my interest particularly around like on-chain and generative um generative art and it's kind of been you've seen it even just in kind of um prices and everything too and kind of the ecosystem um that so that's been really interesting just to see and see kind of people just push the boundaries there but that's kind of outside of outside of marketing but um and then the other is really just seeing kind of the um i'd say like the acceleration and continued uh, interest among the traditional uh, consumer brands that are moving into Web3 and kind of trying to find ways to leverage this technology to build better customer experiences. And so just even the last you know couple of weeks, we've seen um, Mercedes-Benz and Michelin and Nike continue like doing their kind of OnForce One um, or OurForce One drop. And um, just a lot of these major, major you know, Fortune 500 brands um, moving into the space and kind of doing it in, in big and bold ways. Like that's been really exciting for me. And I think just kind of is, is a, a good, um, kind of gives us a glimpse, I think of what, of what we'll see in the future too, which is just that I think, especially every consumer company, but my belief is that every company in the next, you know, five to 10 years will have 
some sort of you know wallet or blockchain data in their system and kind of the idea of web3 will basically just become another channel in kind of their omni-channel marketing you know tool set and i think that that's kind of where where we're heading and i think that's been kind of exciting to see all of these brands already kind of really lean into um lean into the space and a lot of the brands like AB InBev and Budweiser continuing, I think, to double down too, which is exciting that they didn't just kind of like launch a campaign for, you know, PR and headline sake, but are continuing to kind of push into the space and figure out new ways to engage those audiences and kind of continue to push the space forward. Yeah, no, great takes. And, and Drew, you and I were at Consensus. And, you know, one of the themes that I heard in a lot of the talks and a lot of the side conversations amongst the marketing crowd is, you know, build for the future, build for the long haul. Don't think about this as a drop and you're done because that's, you know, you, you need a bigger strategy that plays into your overall marketing program. Um, and, it, you know, I, I think it's it's refreshing to hear people talk about that long-term view, especially after such a crazy bull market and a lot of froth around NFTs, but people kind of coming around to to your point, like this is another tool in our toolbox. This will become another channel. Um, and it has a lot of opportunity and potential for marketers who want to kind of create better, better customer experiences. Um, Drew, thanks. Thanks for hanging out with us today. It's been a great chat. Um, before where can people go to find out more about you and about Holder? Yeah, thank you so much. This is is an absolute blast. You can learn more about Holder at holder.xyz. Uh, we are at holder.xyz on Twitter and I am at Drew Beachler on Twitter. Those are probably where we are most active. Um, but yeah, holder.xyz if you want to learn more. Yeah, if it's Sounds true good. that all of these companies are going to be coming over, they better find a way to to, to get to you. Uh, thank you, Drew. I hope <laughs> so. That, that's the goal. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, it makes it makes what we're doing hopefully much more, much more valuable, both of us, which is good. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Drew. See you all. Thanks for listening to Marketing Meets Web3. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast app.